Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. I mentioned to you last week, those of you who are here, we're on week four of our series on 40 days of prayer. And back in November when I felt led, or October when I felt led to do this series to kick our year off, I knew right then that I wanted to have my wife speak to us in this series. Because I can tell you with authority, there's nobody that I feel is more qualified to speak on the subject of prayer than your first lady, Robin Thompson. Amen? So, Robin, I want you to come on up. And and for those of you who are new to our church and you haven't really had a chance to get to know her yet, I'm just telling you, you don't know how blessed you are to have her uh, ministering and serving here. So why don't we, we give our guest today a good warm welcome, Robin Thompson. Thank y'all. I love and appreciate you, and I am um, honored to stand behind this pulpit and share the word of the Lord today. Um, It's always so much, um, such a blessing to gather with the people of God and to worship together as a body of Christ. As uh, um, Nikki was sharing her testimony about small groups and Tracy was sharing about the importance of small groups, I just wanted to give a shout out to my group. I love all my ladies that come to my house every Tuesday morning. We have such a good time, and they're in my heart. And I know y'all are sitting there praying for me right now, so (laughs) thank you. I had um, prepared a a little something for you that to help us go uh, into the transition from the small group into my message today. But I ran it through my husband, and he said, No. (laughs) It was what not to do in small groups during prayer request time. And apparently it wasn't as funny as I thought it was. So I'm just sparing y'all some awkward moments here to begin with. And we're going to launch right into the word of the Lord. Um, I know that the last time I spoke, I think was Mother's Day here. And I talked about um, my mom and the three things that I learned from my mom. And um, as I was preparing for this today, you know, I thought, I'm going to talk about my mom again a little bit. I I hope y'all will just give me that privilege and bear with me. But the reason is because she was my first teacher. And to all the moms out there, you have such a lasting impact on your children. I want to say use your time well and be a blessing to the little lives that are in your charge. But... I feel like prayer is literally in my DNA, and that's what the last 40 days, well, wait, I don't, what day are we on? 21? 22? Woohoo! We get to eat today. (laughs) But we're still in our 40 days of prayer, and prayer, I feel like it's in my DNA because my mother was such a praying woman. She taught me to pray by modeling it for me. Each morning, I could hear the sweet sounds of her worship coming from the living room as she just was lost in the presence of God. 
And every evening she would kneel down beside her bed, reflect on her day, and thank God for all his blessings. She would come and kneel at my bed and pray with me, go in my sister's room, kneel with her and pray with her. Then she would go in her room and kneel down and finish her day with the Lord. No matter where we were in the world, my mom consistently prayed. She prayed in the car. If we were driving to vacation, wherever we were, she prayed in the car. She prayed while she was doing dishes. She prayed with people on the phone. She prayed in the mall. She lived a lifestyle of prayer. And because of that, I feel so blessed to have the opportunity to know the Lord and to follow after him. And I want, I want that legacy to be passed down to my children. Y'all knew this was going to happen at some point, so might as well just get it over with now. But not long ago, the last time that my mom was here, we were praying together. And I I think I've shared with you how she is um, in the stages of Alzheimer's. And um, so uh, speaking, she can't always find her words. And she's becoming more and more childlike. But as she was praying, she said, Jesus you're sweet, like a cupcake, and I'm hungry for more of you. And I thought that, in her childlike manner, that just expressed what was truly in her heart. To her, Jesus is so sweet and so delightful. He is her exceeding great reward. We continued to pray, and I, I just have to share some some of the other prayers were hilarious, the things that she was praying. It was just a child's heart, but it was so funny. That morning she had come down, and she had tried to fix her own hair. <laughs> I had fixed it the day before, and I had put a hair piece in her hair. Well, she saw it on the bathroom, and she just plopped it right on top of her head. So she was sitting there on the couch praying, and um, she was, I don't know, I, just, I opened my eyes because she scared me a little bit. All of a sudden, she goes, "Woo!" She just gives out a hoop, and she's clapping real hard, and she goes like that. And she goes, whoa, and her hair just falls right down in her lap. She opened her eyes, and she said, oh, that was a good one, Lord. You fixed my hair for me. But her relationship with God was so sweet, so close, and so dear. And um, we continued to pray, and a song came on that my sister had wrote many years ago called My Exceeding Great Reward. And as that song played, my mom just began to weep and just get lost in her love for the Lord. And she said, yes, God, that's you. You are that. And when it was over, she wanted me to repeat the song and play it over again. We played it about six times that day. But the words to the song are this. You are my exceeding great reward. You are my peace and joy untold. You are my help in time of storm. Oh, Lord, you're my exceeding great reward. Fortune and fame, they don't mean a thing. It doesn't matter if the whole world knows my name. 
I must have you. Nothing else will do for you are my exceeding great reward. And those words to the song just captured what I know was in her heart. And I thought, Lord, I I want that to be true of me. I can look back on my life and see that I did serve the Lord for many years when he was my exceeding great reward. What happens when God is your exceeding great reward? When God is my exceeding great reward, I look forward to prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When I look forward to prayer, it's a joyful thing. It's exciting. I'm happy to do it. I get to do it. I remember when um, I first moved to Richmond, and I was so excited about Life Church. It was called Life Tabernacle at that time. And I was just, I was young and newly married, and I was just so excited about what the Lord was going to do and and how he was going to change this community. And I just wanted to be in his presence and with his people. And I just had so much faith and joy. And so I remember I would come to the little 7-Eleven where we had church. And um, I would join there with my prayer partner, who at that time was my um, pastor's wife, Beth Dillon. And we would, in that little 7-Eleven, we would just worship the Lord and at that time, it was, um, there was like, do you all remember like Don Moen and Maranatha and all the, those old songs? Well, we had this prayer CD that we just wore out. And on it was one of my, at the time, it was one of my favorite songs. And I would just, we would go in there and we'd put that on. And her and I would just get lost in the spirit of the Lord. And the words are, I just want to be where you are, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship from afar. Draw me near to where you are in your dwelling place forever. Take me to the place where you are. I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are, dwelling in your presence, feasting at your table, surrounded by your glory. In your presence, that's where I always want to be. I just want to be with you. And so as that song would play, you know, I would just get lost in worship, lost in the Lord. And I remember one time I was afraid to open my eyes because the power of God was so strong. I thought I would see angels everywhere. I didn't. But, but that's, how, that's how my heart was. He was my exceeding great reward. It's a place where his love is poured out on me, and I pour my love out on him. It's a place of joy and delight. It's not a place of drudgery or duty. We kind of feel like Mary. You know, the story in the Bible of Mary and Martha, where Martha's busy doing things, she's productive, she's active, and that's a good thing. She's fixing meals for people, and she's trying to entertain, but where's Mary? Mary is just sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words, and she's hanging on every word. I want to be like Mary. I want to choose to stop everything, because being with Jesus is my exceeding great reward. 
Psalms 84 and 10 says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. It reminds me of that, uh, of, I can't say that verse without seeing Tim Hawkins singing that song. Better in one day in your hand. But it's a great scripture. <laughs> it might help you look it up when you go home. It might help you remember that verse. But better is one day in the house of the Lord than thousands elsewhere. Psalms 27 and 4 says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's where I want to be. That's my heart's desire. When God is my exceeding great reward, that's the way I look at prayer. That's the way I look at my time with him. Prayer is something that I anticipate. It's kind of like, you know, whenever you first fell in love, kind of like looking forward to going on a date with someone you're in love with. You don't really care what restaurant you go to, do you? You don't really care what concert it is or what the activity is. You just want to be with the person you love. That's kind of like how I felt. I just want to be with you, Jesus. I don't care if it's in a congregation with a thousand people or if it's just me and you. I just want to be where you are in your presence. Psalm 16 and 11 says, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when God is my exceeding great reward, I look forward to prayer and heaven looks desirable. Philippians 3 and 20, it says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think about heaven or when I did as a child, I thought streets of gold, gates of pearl, um, crystal sea. All of those wonderful things. No pain. All those great things. And heaven is that. That is the wonderful thing about heaven. But the real reward of being in heaven is forever being in the presence of Jesus. That's the real reward. And I know that there are times in my life when heaven was sort of, sort of a faraway thought. When I wasn't really hungering or desiring for it that much. Because I was busy with life. Um, But when I think of heaven, I think of Jesus and being in his presence forever. John Piper writes, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you've ever had on earth and all the food you've ever liked, that one, okay, that stands out to me. I enjoy eating. And all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, no human conflict, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if it had all of that, but Jesus wasn't there? You know, that sounds pretty good, all of those things. But I want to be so in love with Jesus that... I want my answer to be no. I couldn't be satisfied in heaven without him. When that is my desire, when heaven is my greatest desire, do you know the enemy can't threaten me? 
because death doesn't have a hold on me any longer. I remember when, um, after I had had a surgery and they came back and said, you have cancer and, you know, then you have to evaluate your life and think about everything and fear tries to take its grip on you and you imagine every scenario and I'm thinking about my children without me on the earth and all those things. Well, I spent some time with the Lord talking those things through and I came to the conclusion, if death is what God has for me right now, that's awesome. Because I would get to be with Jesus and I wouldn't have to contend with my flesh anymore. And I wouldn't have the struggles of this everyday life, but it would be continually in his presence. What could be better than that? And when I got to that conclusion, when I finally laid everything down and got there, I felt like the enemy couldn't hold that over my head anymore. He had no power over me when it came to death. I don't fear getting in a car wreck. I don't fear disease. I don't fear natural disaster when heaven is what I'm looking forward to. I can understand how Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So when he's my exceeding great reward, I look forward to prayer. Heaven looks desirable and submission is natural. Psalms 40 and 8 says, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. When he's my exceeding great reward, it's a natural overflow. My attitude is naturally overflowing from my trust of him. Matthew 6 and 10 says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And last week, pastor preached about the kingdom of God and the Lord's prayer. Um, in Luke twenty two forty one and 42, it says, and he withdrew about a stro- stone's throw beyond them where he knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. Trust brings peace. I am at rest and I'm not striving to prove something to myself or anyone else when I'm at rest with Jesus because I rely on his strength, his wisdom, and his provision to be enough for me. And you know what? I, I, um, I thought that I was submitted, fully submitted and fully trusting. And I think that I kind of go in and out of that, fully submitted to God and then maybe relying on my flesh. It's easy to begin trusting in your own strength, especially for those of you that are very competent. Luckily, I'm not as competent as most, so I rely more heavily on the Lord. But for those of you that are really good at lots of stuff, it can be hard to let God be God and fully submit to him. But you know what? God exposed my heart one time when my righteous living did not bring the results that I expected. I responded like a rebellious teenager. I said things like, are you serious? God, you're ruining my life. Just like a teenager would say. 
I know I've heard this one before. You have no idea how good I am. You are so lucky to have a kid like me. You don't realize what the other kids are like. I remember having that attitude with God. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. Wasn't it me that got up and prayed every morning? God, I mean, how many of your other kids do that, huh? That was my attitude with God, which revealed a haughty, arrogant, and unsubmitted heart. No one else's parents are making them do that. I'm the only one who can't do that. Or I'm the only one who has to do this. I've said that to God before too. How come they're allowed to do that and I'm not? Well, he doesn't have to answer me. I just have to submit to him. And when I am fully surrendered and when he's my exceeding great reward, it's not a problem. It's easy to do. I want to do it. You know what? Whenever I was in that bitter state, that reaction was so strong that it indicated to me that somewhere along my life's path, I had shifted away from God being my exceeding great reward to something else. When I recognized that, I had two choices. Number one, I could decide that I was going to turn my focus back to God on his greatness. I was going to trust him and I was going to fully submit. Or number two, I could continue justifying my bad attitude and lack of trust and get more and more bitter. I chose number two (laughs) for a season. And then I turned back to the Lord. I hope, um, I hope you don't judge me harshly for that. Because I recognize It's easy to do. It's so easy to begin walking in your flesh and serving yourself instead of serving our great God. And although I had been given every privilege and every opportunity to know him, prayer is literally in my DNA. I at times chose not to walk in his goodness. I chose not to trust him. But you know what's so good about God is that his mercies are new every morning. And he's so faithful and true. And his goodness does not depend on my goodness or my lack thereof. But his goodness is there just because he is good. And just because he is love. And just because he died for my sins. When God is my exceeding great reward, I look forward to prayer. Heaven is desirable. Submission is natural. And my prayers are answered. John 15 and 7 says, If... You abide in me, and my word abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. That's an incredible promise 
How can he say that? How can it be in there? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. It shall be done for you. Not maybe it will or possibly it could. It shall be done for you. So our challenge is to abide in him. Make him your exceeding great reward. Be excited to live in his presence. When I want what God wants, when I desire him like he's my exceeding great reward, I begin to want the same things that he wants. And so therefore, when I want what he wants and I'm in agreement with him and I begin to ask for the things that I want that are coming from the desire of his heart, then I receive it. Then it's very easy to get. I am in alignment with God. I'm in agreement with him. And my prayers are answered. So if your prayers are not answered, pause for a minute and check yourself. Are you abiding in God? Is he your exceeding great reward? Maybe it's just that that prayer will be answered later. If you're abiding in him, well then relax because that prayer is going to get answered. It may not be right now, but it will happen In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, did I read this scripture? I skipped the very text of my whole thing here. Shoo. All right, we're going back. We're going again. Genesis 15 and 1 says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. God spoke that to Abraham before he ever possessed the promise of the land of Canaan. He spoke that to Abraham when Abraham was a foreigner wandering about with his flocks and his herds, going, pitching his tent here and there, setting up, tearing down. Abraham's reward for his faithfulness and his obedience was not the land of Canaan, although he did get that. His reward was God, God himself. Abraham's reward was not many children, but today we see the nation of Israel, that's descendants of Abraham. So did he get that promise? Yes, he did. But that wasn't his reward. His reward was God himself. Now just think for a minute what the possession of God means. God is your everything in everything that he is. His power is there to strengthen you. His wisdom and knowledge are there to direct you. All his attributes are available on your behalf. When we have God, we have an exceeding great reward. And when we take this attitude into prayer, prayer becomes a delight instead of a duty. Prayer becomes easy to submit to. Prayer becomes natural and my prayers are answered. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, when he's my exceeding great reward, that happens. I begin to want the things that God wants. But what do I do when I don't feel like that? What do I do when God isn't my exceeding great reward? And I've been there, and I'm sure all of you have at some point in your life, and you may return there someday. When that happens, what do I do to, like Abraham, 
feel like God is my exceeding great reward. He's more than enough. All of his promises are mine. He will be my shield. If he's given me a promise, it will happen even if I don't see it with my own with my own eyes. It will come to pass. When I don't feel like he's my exceeding great reward, I'm going to do four things. Number one, I'm going to pursue relationship. Psalms 36 and 7 says, How precious is your unfailing love, O God. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. Sometimes we know of God's love and we just act like it's nothing. We don't stop and consider what it cost him. We don't stop and consider what a gift that is. We've got to pursue relationship where once again we feel like how precious is your unfailing love, oh God. It's a decision that we purposely shift our attention to improving our relationship with God. Good relationships don't just happen, right? They are built. They require some time. They require some attention. They require thinking correctly about that person. They require communication. They require deep sharing. Just think, if you want to be close to a friend or a family member or your spouse, you have to be to give that person time and attention. You have to think positively about them. If all you do is think of all the things that they do that get on your nerves you're not going to have a very great relationship with them, are you? You have to decide, I'm going to think of all the things I love about them. I'm going to accept them like they are, and I'm going to think about all the good things about them. And you dwell on those good things. That's the same way with God. If we want to improve our relationship, we do the same things. We spend time with him. We think about how great he is. We don't think about, well, Why in the world does that person get that blessing and I don't? God must love them more than he loves me. No, we think about how great he is, how blessed we are, what he's done, and who he is. We share deeply with him. We reveal our likes and our dislikes. We reveal our hurts, our tragedies, our triumphs. I do that with my friends if I want to be close to them. If I really want them to know me, I will open my heart to them. That's the same way with God. And we, have, we um, actively do something to serve him. Actions. Sometimes um, people say, well, I've fallen out of love with my spouse. Well, if, that, if you have, then start acting like you're in love with them until your feelings catch up to your actions. That's the same way with God. When we hit a dry spot or we feel like we've fallen out of love with him, pursue him, dwell on his goodness, serve him, do things for him that would be a blessing. Always have communication with him and eventually your feelings will catch up to your actions. So when I don't feel that way, I can learn to pray from the perspective of he's my exceeding great reward by pursuing relationship. Deuteronomy 7 and 9 says, know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commands to a thousand generations. That's a beautiful promise. 
Psalms 86 and 5 says, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Find these scriptures in the word of God. Speak them over and over again until they're, your, they're in your spirit. Psalms 86, 15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and, and faithfulness. Ask yourself, what or who am I pursuing? Sometimes we're pursuing having a healthy body, and that's a good pursuit. But am I pursuing that over my relationship with God? Sometimes we're pursuing financial wealth. It's good to be a good steward and and to have money to give and be a blessing to other people. That's a wonderful thing. But are you desiring that over your relationship with God? Are you pursuing that more with more passion than you are pursuing God? That's just a question for you to ask yourself, and you know the answer. If you're pursuing anything with more passion, more than you're pursuing God, just decide today you're going to change that, that I'm going to pursue God first. I'm going to pursue him most. So to make God my exceeding great reward in prayer, I pursue relationship, I pray in the spirit, and with understanding. 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Praying in the spirit is so powerful, so important. It does so much for us that we can't do on our own. Praying in the spirit, Romans 8, 26, it says, likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities for we know not what we should pray for as we ought But the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. If you are full of the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to pray in the Spirit. Now, they have done studies um, about what happens when we pray in the Spirit, when we pray in tongues. It's called glossolalia. What the scientists have discovered... When people pray in tongues, there is a decreased activity in the frontal lobe. The frontal lobe responds to um, purposeful choices, doing something intentionally. And the reason that there's a decrease in in that activity is because God is taking over. So when I speak in tongues, I'm not intentionally speaking from my own will. It is God who is speaking through me in an unknown tongue. The language area of the brain decreases in activity. You would think it increases, but it doesn't. It decreases because it's like the spirit is overriding that part. He is speaking through you. And there's so much good stuff that happens. That's not just me getting up here saying, you know, you need to speak in tongues. It's science, people. Okay, so if you don't believe the word of God, you don't believe me, believe science. They have shown that the, I'm not, I might say these terms wrong, but the hypothalamus, okay, that's right. That activity increases because it's responding to peace. It's responding to the peace of God. And what that does is it links the nervous system to your endocrine, how do you say that? Endocrine system. Through the pituitary gland. So it does so much good for you. So when you're speaking in tongues, literally all this good stuff is happening in your body that you can't do for your own self. It increases emotional stability. 
I don't know how they found this out, but this is what the studies showed, by 86%. So if you feel you're a little crazy, why don't you spend some time praying in the spirit? (laughs) Your family will thank you. And it creates an overall improvement in your entire brain function when you are speaking in tongues. Maybe that's why when you just get lost in the spirit, you feel so good when you're done. Because literally, you feel good. Because like endorphins, whatever is happening, there's stuff going on that is released in your body that brings healing and peace and joy through the spirit. So when... God is not my exceeding great reward, and I'm trying to make him my exceeding great reward. I will pray in the spirit and with understanding, and we need both because the spirit can do what we can't do, but if you only pray in tongues, you're missing out something too because praying with understanding is your part, and God will not do your part for you. You must do your part. Praying with understanding, this is so exciting to me. It may be boring to you, but it's exciting to me because when you pray with understanding, you are taking control of what is happening in your mind. And you are telling your mind to make new thought patterns and you get to literally, if you've got brain damage, you can decide to change that. Change the landscape of your brain by how you pray. Pray with understanding. Um, neuroscientist Dr. Caroline Leaf says that studies have proven that your brain goes into the highest level of intellectual function when you pray. When I pray with understanding, I am thinking, feeling, and choosing to glorify God, speak his truth, and create new and powerful networks of thought in my brain. So I am responsible to do this. And I think that I lacked doing that most because, you know, I would just get lost in the spirit and woo, just go off praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues. Woo, and I felt so good. But I wasn't changing my brain. I was changing what was happening in my body, but I wasn't changing my thought patterns that needed to be changed that only I could do. So praying with understanding takes responsibility for yourself, and it says, I'm going to create on purpose thought patterns that glorify God and set me free from fear, from addiction, from anxiety, from depression. I am going to speak with understanding the truth of God's word, and I am going to on purpose agree with what is in his word. And I am going to change the thought patterns in my own brain on purpose. So I must pray in the spirit and I must pray with understanding. I must practice meditation. Practicing meditation, I think that um, if you've been in the, the journey growth track classes, um, they've changed, we've changed the names and I, I get them mixed up, but you have heard, um, talking about practicing meditation. Meditation is simply focused thinking. And when we do that, incredible things happen. When we focus on the word of God, Psalms one, one through three says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, does he meditate? 
day and night. And what happens when he does this? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's a powerful promise from the word of God. So, you know, the word meditation, it came from scripture before it was new agey. So don't let the the term meditation scare you. All right, we're just going to practice it for just a few seconds. I want you just to take a deep breath, inhale in, hold that breath, release it out. Be still, inhale in again, hold it, release it out. That's not just a foolish practice, but things are happening in your body. When you do that, it's getting your brain prepared to receive new information. So what meditation is, you sit down and you focus. You ask, you answer, and you discuss the word of God. So you would look at that scripture and you would ask yourself questions about it. Then you would answer yourself. You can answer out loud or write it down. Either one is creating new things in your mind. You ask, answer, and you discuss. Then you review what you've discovered. And the last step is you make a practical application for how you are going to live out that scripture. That's how life change happens. It begins, motivation gets you started, but motivation doesn't last if you don't do something. I'm living proof of that. Many times I have been, I'm going to exercise four times a week. And that motivation just dies away if I don't do something about it. (laughs) So if you're, I hope to motivate you today, but we have to do the hard work to keep it going. Meditation does something for us. And the next point is, I'm almost finished. We protect our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. What you put in your mind stays there. Luke 6.45 says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So if you're talking and, oh, my Lance, I can't believe I said that. It's in there somewhere. (laughs) Because the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. How do I improve my heart? How do I guard it? I do it on purpose. It doesn't just happen. I'm aware of the people around me. I'm aware of the music that's being played around me. I'm aware of what I'm putting into my mind. I unplug for a time every day people all this constant media flow isn't good for us. It's making us sick. It's taking away our intimacy with God because it's constantly distracting. We have to decide, I'm going to turn that off. And I know that all the people that love their phones are not pleased to hear that. But if you want to guard your heart, you've got to turn it off for a season. You've got to give yourself time to have quiet and to hear the voice of the Lord. 
It's our culture. It's easy to waste time indulging in media that feeds our flesh. I know it's easy to do. I've done it time and time again. It is a culture, but that relies on technology over community where words are cheap. They're easy to come by and they're excessive. Today's culture makes everything about me, 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 as if God exists to make me happy. That's just not true. That's just not the way life works. We act like the world was created to make me happy, to sustain me and bring me pleasure. And when I'm submerged in that culture and that kind of thinking, it starts to get a hold of me, doesn't it? So I have to stop and say, oh, that's not true. I have to get myself pure and clean and free from that kind of thinking. I have to guard my heart if I want God to be my exceeding great reward. And my last point is proclaimed by faith. Job 22 and 28 says, you will also decide and decree a thing, decide and decree a thing, and it will be established for you. And the light of God's favor will shine upon your ways. Proclaim by faith to enter your promised land. Practicing proclamations are, it's very powerful Saying it over and over again until you believe it is very powerful. Deciding and decreeing helps us call those things that are not as though they are. Romans 4.17 says, God who gives life to the dead and calls these things which do not exist as though they did. God's method of bringing life to dead places, people, nations, gifts, and callings is for someone to say it is alive when it looks dead. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me. The praise team and band can come. There was a time in my life when my, he was not my exceeding great reward. And I looked at my life And I saw death and destruction instead of the goodness of God. If you are in that place, you can change it. With the help of God, you can change it. You must activate your voice and decide and decree to call those things that are not as though they are. If you're not enjoying God right now and he's not your exceeding great reward, tell him how you feel because he already knows. It can be simple. You can just say, God, right now, you're not the most important thing in this life to me and I'm sorry for that. I've been lukewarm and I've chosen, and you fill in the blank. Maybe it's I've chosen work, I've chosen my kids, I've chosen sleep, I've chosen entertainment, I've chosen my career, whatever it is, you fill in the blank. I've chosen over you time and time again. Please change me. I want to genuinely enjoy you, Jesus. I want to love you more than anything on this earth and I want you 
to be my exceeding great reward. That morning that I was praying with my mom and she said, Lord, you're sweet like a cupcake and I'm hungry for you. It shook me to remind me, am I viewing God like that? Is he my exceeding great reward? If he's not, I don't condemn you. I just want to share with you a story in closing of a pastor who watched in open heart surgery. Many of you may have heard this story. The song, Tell Your Heart to Beat Again, written by um, Randy Phillips, and I probably made most popular by Danny Gokey. It was written from this experience. A pastor talked to a surgeon in his congregation into allowing him to be in an open heart surgery. And during that open heart surgery, the surgeon opened the chest cavity and he extracted the heart. He fixed it. He put it back in the chest cavity and he began to gently massage the heart. But the heart didn't start again. So he began to work on it more aggressively. It still didn't respond. So the pastor sitting there thinking, this might be me watching someone die right in, my, in front of my eyes. And at that time, the surgeon took off his surgeon mask. He knelt down and he spoke in the patient's ear who was under anesthesia, unconscious, lying there on the table. And he said, Mrs. Johnson... This is your surgeon. The operation went perfectly. Your heart has been repaired. Now tell your heart to beat again. And when he spoke those words, her heart began beating again. To those of you that have suffered a broken heart, maybe you've suffered betrayal, extreme pain, disappointment, shattered dreams. Tell your heart to beat again. You make the decision today to tell your heart. Begin to beat again. Begin to pray again. Begin to love again. Begin to hope again. Begin to believe that God is for you again. Begin to believe that he is good and that his word is forever settled in heaven. Begin to believe that your future has good things in it. Tell your heart to beat again. Tell your heart to fall in love with Jesus again. Tell your heart, he is my exceeding great reward. He is more than enough for me. This altar is open today. If you would like to submit to the Lord and say, God, I want you to be my everything. I don't want prayer to be hard. I want it to be easy, God. I want it to flow from my over 
overflow from my love for you. I want to enjoy your presence. I want to be one with you, God. I want you, Lord Jesus, to rule my life. Lord, today, I don't want anything but you. You are my greatest joy, Lord, and I don't want to allow anything in this life to cause me to lose my focus on your blessings, on your goodness, on your grace. I don't want anything to take your place, God, but I want to allow you to be who you want to be to me. You want to be my exceeding great reward. You want to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessing on me. You want to direct my every start, my every step, Lord. You want to deliver me from fear and anxiety and worry and regret. You want to make my path straight again, God. You want, Lord Jesus, to renew my relationships, Lord. Praise you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We honor you, God. Thank you. I just want you. That's it. Let's continue to respond. This entire month, every message has been a call to relationship, a call to renewed relationship. So why don't you just join us right now as we recommit. Father, in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. God, I want you to be my reward. Oh, God, I want you to speak life into my spirit, God. That's it. Tell your heart to beat again. Come on. Yes, God, I love you. I want to put you first, Lord.
That's it. Sing that verse again. Sing it from your heart. God, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. But I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry. But I just sang another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your presence. I'm caught up in your presence. Hallelujah. Oh, I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. I never want to leave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, I bless you, Jesus. Nothing else will do. Hallelujah. 